morning. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> so I, I spent four hours in an Olaf costume last night with my kids. So if I look a little dehydrated, um, it was about 117 degrees inside that thing. And I didn't know that we had to play games as well. So um, I've been trying to hydrate good this morning and, and get back to normal. So um, like Andrew said, we're continuing with our series on uh, Gentle and Lowly. Um, so I'm going to start off. I enjoy hunting and fishing. I've, I've been doing it since I was a kid. I've always enjoyed it. And when I was, uh, when I was three years old, my dad um, got my twin brother and I each a Brim Buster for Easter. And if you're not familiar with the Brim Buster, it's the telescopic cane pole that I think if you, if you fish, you all kind of started out on, on that weapon there. Um, and it kind of led to the passion that I still have today. And, and even like cooler was the story my dad said. You know, he told us that he was driving down the road and, um, and he saw the Easter bunny. And so he pulled over, struck up a conversation. And the Easter bunny said, yeah, I got these two fishing rods. Give them to your sons. So I was much appreciative of that. Also, knowing my dad was now on a first name basis with the uh, Easter bunny was really cool. And also uh, what I think one of the only ones to see him like actually in the fur because I don't think many people have seen him. So anyway, side note, um, I, getting back. So over my life, I, I've caught a lot of fish and, and there's probably not a lake in South Carolina or, or really part of the coast that I haven't been and that I haven't fished. Um, in 1999, I, I was fortunate enough to get the opportunity to go to Alaska and fish, fish, excuse me, fish for king salmon there. And uh, it was on the inside passage of Alaska off of a little island called Klawak. And uh, it was an, an incredible opportunity. And th- but there was just one, one hang-up. Uh, but between my brother, my dad, and I, none of us had ever been to Alaska before. Uh, we, we actually had no idea how you fish for king salmon. So naturally, what we did is we got a guide, and our guide, his name was Sam, uh, and he was awesome. He was actually an electrician in the off-season and then a fishing guide in the summer, but he was, he was really interesting, and the first thing he did, he talked to us about the area that we were going to fish, and he told us the, uh, the techniques that he recommended we use to catch these fish. Um, he provided a boat. He provided equipment. And, uh, and then he also showed us uh, his extensive collection of tackle and, and how to use it to go after these king salmon. And, uh, and we listened intently to what Sam had to say. Why? Because Sam knew things that we didn't. You know, he had experiences that we didn't have. He had access to equipment we didn't have. And he knew things about the water and about that region that we had no idea of. And the thing was, we flat out caught fish. In the four days we were there, we caught our limit every day between king salmon, silver salmon, halibut, lingcod. You know, every day we caught a limit. But here is the interesting part, and the part I'm really excited to tell you. Um, there were guys from Cabela's, the big you know, uh, store. Uh, um, their marketing department was actually on this island at the same time, fishing in the same location we were, and actually out of the same marina. And they didn't catch near what we caught. In fact, between the four of them, they were lucky to get a combined limit, you know, know, pulling all their fish together. And Sam told us why. He said it was because they insisted on doing things their way. And and though they were were provided a guide, you know, they had to have one. They were provided this helper. 
um, they attempted to take their experiences and, and their knowledge and apply them to this area, and it, and it didn't work. It didn't work because though, though they were provided this helper, they turned their backs on him, and they did things their way. And really, they weren't able to fully experience the level of fishing that was available. And so, looking back, I mean, you may ask, did I talk any trash to the Cabela's marketing team? Well, I was 19 years old in 1999, and um, probably not. I don't know. Yeah, I think I did. <laughs> but so, so, just like in this story, though, we, we have a guide with us now, and that guide, obviously, is the Holy Spirit. So, this morning, we're going to continue on our series, Gentle and Lowly, following chapters 13 and 14 of the book. And our scripture is going to be from the book of John. And so I, I preached once before out of this book, and you could probably tell that I, I really love the book of John. Um, I like how he immediately reveals Jesus' identity. In fact, right off, you know, right off the bat, he says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made, and without him nothing that was made had been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. That light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Right from the beginning, he tells us who Jesus is. And in every chapter, who he is is further revealed. You can look to the, look to the I am statements found in the book. What does he say? He says, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the door. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the true vine. Jesus is fully God. And because he's fully God, we can trust what he says. We can trust that the Father is revealed to us through him. We can trust that belief in him leads to eternal life. And we can trust that when he promises us something, he'll deliver. So the scripture this morning is John chapter 14 verses 12 through 17. And you can follow along in your Bible or you can follow along in the screen. It says, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. And greater works than these he will do because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. So a helper is promised. And this is greater than an assistant. This is greater than a guide. This is part of the Holy Trinity, the Holy Spirit, an actual person that if you receive him, lives within you. So this brings us to our first point this morning. Help was promised. So our God, our God is a God of truth, and as such, he keeps his promises. And we're promised a helper in verse 16 when Jesus states, And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever. You, when you look at that verse, you know, one interesting thing is all three members of the Trinity are mentioned in that one verse. I being Jesus, the Father, and then the counselor being the Spirit. 
So in different translations of this verse, if you're using the King James Version, you may see, I will pray the Father, or something along those lines. The Greek word used here is erotaso, and, and this is interesting because there are several Greek words for prayer, but Jesus uses this specific term many times, and it means more of a request. So he, he's not imploring the Father in the same way that the apostles would have done. He's using this request rather than ask when he prays to the Father because the effect of his prayer is that the Father would grant it and the Father in this case would give the, give the disciples another helper. This is, this is the great promise of the New Testament. You know, in the Old Testament, the coming of the Messiah was the promise. This, the Holy Spirit, is the great New Testament promise. And John Piper states it this way, which I found very interesting. He said, God promised in the 8th century BC that a day was coming when he would fill his upright servants with himself. And what Piper's referring to here, he's referring to Isaiah 44. Verse 3, which says, For I will pour water out on the thirsty land and streams on the dry ground. I will pour my spirit upon your offspring and my blessings on your descendants. So he, he goes on to say, I, I would argue that ever since the day of Pentecost, when this prophecy received its inaugural fulfillment, it has been a Christian duty to delight to seek and maintain the fullness of God's spirit. Ever since Peter claimed in Acts 2 that the last days of outpouring had begun, none of us who reads this promise in Isaiah 44 should be content until we're drenched with the Holy Spirit. And our God is a promise keeper. It's in his very nature. From Psalm 145.13, he writes, Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and your dominion endures throughout all generations. The Lord is faithful in all his words, and kind in all his works. It's who he is, and he can't lie. And Paul, Paul tells us this in Hebrews when he says in chapter, chapter 6, verse 18, so that by two unchangeable things in which it's impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast the hope he sets before us. So now before you say nothing is impossible, for God, just know this, God does not lie. He does not violate the laws of logic. He is who he is, and he cannot be other than what he is. He won't violate the laws of logic. He can, does, and will violate the laws of nature, but not of logic. For example, as we go to Joshua twenty-one forty-five, where he says, not one word of the good promises that the Lord had made to the house of Israel had failed. All came to pass. In 1 Kings chapter 8, verse 56, Blessed be the Lord who has given rest to his people Israel according to all that he promised. Not one word has failed all of his good promise, which he, which he spoke by Moses his servant. And finally, to 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, The Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing for any to perish, but all to come to repentance. So we serve a living God who is faithful by his very nature. And when he promises, he fulfills. 
So Jesus being fully God could not lie because he was the truth. And this is more than just spoken truth. This is truth in the moral sphere. This is divine truth, the Greek aletheia. And that is why Pilate was so utterly confused with Jesus during, when he met him. That's why you know, when he says, what is truth? He's not expecting Jesus to answer with, well, Pilate, Webster defines truth as this. He is legitimately confused. He's using a question as a sort of statement, but he's confused for many reasons. He's confused in the same way that we get confused because we're human. And due to the fall, we're sinners and our hearts are not perfect yet. And though we're created in his image, we bear that image, we commit sin. I read that, that we've become so good at lying that even polygraph tests are becoming no longer effective. And also, in addition to this, we have a presence in this world that we can't ignore. We have a father of lies in Satan. And he is the polar opposite of the God that we serve. He's full of all this sinful in the world. And here's an interesting point. He doesn't lie to us because he wants us to avoid the truth that pain brings. Absolutely not. It's so much more evil than that. He lies because he wants us to believe the lies. He wants us to live our, our lives full of regret, full of shame, and full of guilt. He wants us to live our lives for what the world has to offer. He wants us to take that talent, as Jesus tells us in the parable, and bury it. He wants us to suffer eternal damnation because he doesn't want us to know the truth, the truth of God, the truth of God's plan for us, the truth of his great love for us, a love so great that he gave his son to pay our debt so that we can live eternally with him. So church, God promised us this helper, and a helper is here, and he is here now, which is our second point this morning, help is here. So Luke writes in Acts of the, of the Spirit, he, he writes in Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. And it filled the entire house where they were sitting and divided the tongues and divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. So let's look at what the Spirit does for us. First, again, going, going to the Greek, and I apologize for overusing the Greek text, but it's fascinating to me. But um, the words parakletos, and, and it's a difficult one to, to translate. It's, a it's very difficult to translate this one into, uh, into English. Um, if, you, if, you, if you try to go literally, it means come alongside to help. It's one of those weird verb slash nouns going on there. Um, some other words, comforter, advocate, helper. So the Holy Spirit is to us what Jesus was to the disciples, only closer because if you receive him, the Spirit lives within you. And he's just our present-day advocate. He teaches us. He convicts us of sin. He reminds us of Jesus' words. And again, if you receive him, he lives within you. 
So going to the book that we've been in, Gentle and Lowly, Dane Oslin writes this about the Spirit. He says, the Spirit takes what we read in the Bible and believe on paper about Jesus' heart and moves it from theory to reality and from doctrine to experience. So next, the Spirit is a person, and it can actually be grieved, and it can be prayed to. You can pray to the Spirit. And actually throughout the New Testament, the personhood of the Spirit is described. It's described in the book of John. It's described in Acts and in many of Paul's letters. Uh, Here in John chapter 16, uh, verses 5 through 7, he writes, But now I'm going to him who sent me, and none of you ask me, where are you going? Because I've said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It's to your advantage that I go away, for if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. So if you've been following along in the book, uh, if you've been in a group that's following the book, um, you'll recognize the name Thomas Goodwin. And, and for the verse that we just read, uh, Goodwin kind of paraphrased that in his, you know, with his thoughts in, in 16th, 17th century time period. And here's what he says. Here's how he paraphrases this. He says, My father and I have but one friend who lies within us both and proceeds from us both, the Holy Spirit, and I will send him to you. He will be a better comforter to you than I am to be. He will comfort you better than I can do with my bodily presence. He will tell you nothing but stories of my love, and all his speech in your hearts will be to advance me and greaten my worth and love to you. And hear this, and it will be his delight to do it. And why, good one answers the why with, so that you should have my heart as surely and as speedily as if I were with you. So the Holy Spirit is all-powerful, all-knowing, and ever-present because he is God. He is part of the Trinity. And we have this helper with us because of God's love for us. And you can think of it like this. How many of you have some sort of device that you use that you don't know all the capabilities of? So, so as a man, I refuse to read directions and owner's manuals on principle. I'm not allowed to by nature. So, and it never fails, whether it be like a phone or a gadget or even my boat motor. I'll have something for a long period of time, and then almost by accident, I'll discover a function of it that would have made my life easier. Um, for example, um, I learned once on the Watery River uh, about two years ago that, that a blinking red light on a Tahatsu 20 is not uh, anything to, uh, to ignore. Uh, it, it, in fact, it does not mean the motor's running fine. It means that eventually you're going to have some black smoke pour out of the exhaust because there's a, there's a clog in, in the cooling system. Didn't know that, didn't read that. Had I read that information provided with the motor, I would have recognized it. But instead, uh, I found myself on the bank of the watery, scraping uh, the melted impeller from the water pump housing, <laughs> which is a lot of fun and... I was not uh, emulating the love of Christ during this, this event, but I was forgiven. So praise, praise the Lord. Um, so God gave us our brains. He gave us our intellect to whatever degree for a reason. And that reason is we're to use it to the best of our ability to know him. 
you know, it's no different than our spiritual gifts. We're to use it. We're to use what we have, and we have a responsibility as followers of Christ to know God and to know who he is. And he gave us his word for us to do just that. So go to the scriptures and learn of him, learn of his plan, learn of his love, and learn how the Holy Spirit works in your life and can work in your life. Pray to the Holy Spirit, listen to him, and take comfort that the Holy Spirit is with you. So the third and final point this morning is this, and this is for those of you that may not have, but receive him. So from 1 Corinthians chapter 12, I'm sorry, chapter 2, verse 12, he writes, Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we may understand the things freely given to us by God. We need this helper, and we need this counselor. We need an advocate. And knowing all of this, God provided one to us. And if you've put your faith and your trust in Jesus Christ, He's with you. He's alongside you. He guides you. He helps you. And he allows you to know the heart of God, his very heart. So listen to him because there's freedom in doing this. When you submit to the Holy Spirit, you move closer to the life that God designed for you. I don't know if you remember um, one of Andrew's sermons from the spring. He, he, he had a quote from Watchman Nee that said, the highest human freedom is being a slave to God. The highest human freedom is being a slave to God. But what, what does that mean? That means there's a direct relationship between freedom and design. It means there's freedom in doing what you were created to do, and there is freedom in being bound to what you were created to do. Tim Keller uh, states this um, as well. He says, because a fish absorbs oxygen from water, not air, it's free only if it's restricted to water. If a fish is freed from the river and put out on the grass to explore, its freedom to move and soon live is destroyed. Real freedom isn't restrictionless. It's finding the right ones. So how do we find the right ones? We look to his word guided by his spirit. When we're confused, we go to his word guided by his spirit. Jesus says, receive the Holy Spirit. He doesn't say, understand all of it. Receive it. And listen, there's going to be times where you feel this so incredibly closely, and that is a a great and beautiful place to be, but there's going to be times where you're not. And that's fine. And it doesn't mean he's not there. Um, C.S. Lewis addresses this specifically, and it stuck with me. And he says, it's quite right that you should feel something terrific has happened to you. And in his words, be all glowy. And accept these sensations as thank- with thankfulness as a birthday card from God. But remember, they're only greetings, not the real thing not the real gift. It's not the sensations that are, that are the real thing. The real thing is the gift of the Holy Spirit. Don't depend on the sensations. Otherwise, when they go and you're once more emotionally flat, you may think the real thing had gone too, but it won't. It will be there when you can't feel it. It may even be most operative when you feel it the least. And how true is that? You know, 
the darkness of sin, the condition of our world, will all, often cause us to feel apart from him and to feel distant from him. But know, know he's there. Know that the Spirit is there waiting for you. And people will notice this. I, I finished a book recently um, by Pete Maravich, Pistol Pete Maravich. Anybody remember that guy? Yeah, the old basketball player. And so I, it was just a biography. There was no you know, Christian slant to it, just a secular book on his, uh, you know, his bio. But it was interesting because I don't know if you know, but uh, old Pistol Pete found Christ toward the end of his basketball career. And his career included all kinds of substance abuse. And, um, and there were, there's a quote about him uh, from his wife, you know, after God spoke to him and she started to notice the change. And in the book, they said it took a while for Jackie to overcome her skepticism, but she knew what she saw and with whom she lived both before and after God spoke to her husband. The quote from her is this. It says, he was like a different person. I saw how happy he was, how he was at peace with everything. I kind of envied him. I wanted what he had. You know, in, um, it made me think in our, our small group, um, our Wednesday night group, Joe, Lynn, and Ann, we're, we're all in there together, and, and Ann was talking about her, um, her Italian uncle, Uncle Vinny, which obviously, but um, so she said, you know, he came to Christ uh, very late in life. But, but the, the interesting comment she made, and this really stuck with me, she said, for all who knew him, you couldn't not notice the change in him. And that, that is the Holy Spirit. And how many people do you know that have this story? I mean, think of your own transformation. You know, think of what God has done in your own life. You know, how have your priorities changed? If you, you know, if you found Jesus later in life, usually you see that. You know, back in the day, I, I, used, to, I used to go to church where I wouldn't feel guilty about fishing, you know, on Sunday. And um, now I'm actually excited about it days in advance. So, spirit, road to spiritual maturity there. But, um, but I would guess most of you have a, uh, have a similar story. But what do we actually do with all this? How do we apply this? What do we do with this information? Again, we go to his word. That's why we have it. You know, I spoke of this before, but there is evil in this world. There's pain. There's suffering. There's death. This isn't the way it's supposed to be, but, but for right now, it's the way it is. And you may ask, you know, how can we get comfort from that fact? How can we get comfort and peace in the midst of suffering, in the midst of cancers, in the midst of death, in the midst of grief, of sorrow, of depression? How do we get comfort in that? And the answer is hope. Hope that this isn't the best of what's to come. Hope that we have a future, a one, one that's free from everything that I just mentioned, free of death, despair, sadness, and illness. In Jeremiah 29, verse 11, he says, I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. And that hope isn't just wishful thinking. That hope is grounded in truth, and that is the truth that sets us free. 
So, so wrapping it up this morning, help was promised. And as we've heard and as we've read, when he promises, he delivers. Help is here now from Pentecost to present day. Our helper is here. Our counselor is here. Our comforter is here. The one Jesus promised is here. The Holy Spirit is with us. And again, because of him, we can enjoy a closer deeper relationship with our creator than even the disciples had and they were with Jesus and that is how special this relationship is because help is here so receive him and if you're here today and you haven't if you're not sure what all this is about I would encourage you to ask ask one of the pastors or one of the deacons and if you if you find yourself constantly seeking peace and contentment but not finding it in what the world has to offer, ask. We've been created with a need for him. And outside of him, we'll continue to seek, but we're not going to find. We'll try to fill that void with what the world offers us, with what the world tells us will make us happy. Money, real estate, cars, drugs, alcohol, sex, all of that. But what always happens and what you know deep down inside is these things never truly fill the void because the feelings from them never last. They're temporary because happiness is temporary. It is a fleeting and fragile emotion and it comes and goes as easily as our moods change. But the joy and peace and contentment that comes with the relationship with Jesus Christ is not. It fills that void because the world that we were created for isn't here. It's with our creator, and it's one in which we will live eternally with him. Let's pray. Father, thank you for today, and thank you for this church. Father, we pray for our community. We pray for our outreach yesterday that that we could bring those who don't know you, to know you, Father. Father, we pray for our nation. Our nation needs you at this time. We need Jesus, Father. Father, help us use the spirit that we just talked about to both know you better and and to love you better. And when we get confused and disheartened and and when when the world tries to pull us away from you, Father, help us to come back to you. Help us to run to you and to, and, and, to, and to know you. When we don't have the answers for what's going on, let us remember the answers we do have and the knowledge we do have, which is you and your love for us, a love so great, Father.